if you look at the sheet, uh, the first source on the sheet is Bereshit Perek Lamed Hey, which are psukim from our parasha, from this parasha, and the psukim are, are, are recognizable. I mean, besides the fact that we read this every year, but this is a well-known part of the story of Yaakov Avinu. And the story is that Vayiralu uh, Kimel Yaakov this idea that God gives brachot to the avot is repeated again and again. Abraham was blessed, and Yitzchak was blessed, and now Yaakov is blessed at the end of this week's parasha. Your name is Yaakov. Your name will no longer be Yaakov, Ki Im Yisrael, which a name change, Yaakov to Yisrael, Yaakov to Yisrael. Ki Im Yisrael Yeshimecha VaYikrat Shemo Yisrael. Now that is about as definitive a statement as you could imagine in the Torah. God says, used to be Yaakov. And now you're going to be Yisrael. And in the way of the Torah, to kind of stamp it, it says in the Pasuk, and God called him Yisrael. I mean, you can't have a more authoritative kind of statement than that. That's what happened. And he gives the same bracha that was given to Adam Arishon and then to Noach and then to Avraham that you should have many progeny. Pray Uravei. I mean, that's something to think about that somehow your, some of your progeny will be kings. Will be kings. That's so this is a wonderful bracha. And it contains the two elements of bracha that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave to Avram Avinu. The two elements are many, many progeny and Eretz Yisrael. Those are the two elements of the bracha that are repeated again and again, that are repeated again and again, even in the Chumash. But then throughout Jewish history, these are the two elements of the Jewish nation, which we always aspire to. We aspire to uh, many, to be many, and to go to Eretz Yisrael, to inherit, to inherit the land. That's what, that's what the Psukim, that's what the Psukim say. Now, uh, this is curious for two reasons. There are two, uh, there's another pasuk which I want to read to you, which uh, is not on the sheet, but it's okay. It's okay. The psukim that I just read, this pasuk yud, Shimcha Yaakov, lo yikarei Shimcha od Yaakov, ki im Yisrael. Pasuk Yud Aleph, vayomer lo elokim anikel shedai preyruvei, goyikar goyim yemimeka, umelachim yichalatzecha yitzeu, ve'et ha'aretz, right? Ve'et ha'aretz is a bracha of this and a bracha of that. Now that's Pasuk Yud Aleph, that's on the sheet, right? Yud Aleph? It's Yud Bet? What's, what do you mean also? Oh, it's on the sheet. Okay, you bet. You bet is, is 12. Right? Pasuk 12. So I'm looking in the Chumash. It's always very important for teachers not to give the students all the information. So they can say something, you know, that, that it's not on the sheet. So here's something that's not on the sheet. Pasuk Yudalit. Pasuk Yudalit. Which is 13, 14, two psukim further on. The Pasuk says, 
Vayatsev Yaakov Matseva. I don't understand. Pasuk Tedvav says Vayikra Yaakov et Shema Makom. Pasuk and on and on and on. What's on and on and on? The Torah is not aware of the fact that God just told Yaakov that your name is no longer Yaakov, but your name is Yisrael. Now, this didn't happen with Avram Avinu, you understand. With Avram Avinu, his name was Avram. But from the time that HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Avram, your name is now Avraham, that was it. Every, all the Avram was edited out of the Torah. In fact, the Gemara says, the Gemara says that if a person after Abraham's name was changed and he became Abraham, you're not allowed to use the name Avram in referring to Abraham. Even though it seems like a kind of mistake that you're likely to make. It's not such a terrible thing, but the Gemara says, no, no, it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. Don't call him Avram because HaKadosh Baruch Hu changed his name. How can you deny what the Torah says? But when it came to Yaakov, when it came to Yaakov, the Torah immediately denies what HaKadosh Baruch Hu said. Now it's true that from now until the end of the book of Breshit, Yaakov is sometimes called Yisrael. Sometimes. But even when he's called Yisrael, it's also true that he's often called Yaakov at the same time. Right? Two different psukim telling the same story. And the names switch. So you see that Yaakov was, first of all you see, that Yaakov was a lot kind of a schizophrenic type of person. Right? They must have had this kind of identity question. Here, HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him that he's Yisrael, which means something changed. Right? Something changed. And on the Torah, the Torah, Yaakov, you know, the, uh, the Kabbalists know that Yaakov is, is Tiferet. Chesed, Gvura, Tiferet. Chesed is Avravinu, Gvura is Yitzchak. And Tiferet is Yaakov. And Tiferet is a synonym for Torah. It was Yaakov was the one who embodied, somehow embodied the Torah. And in spite of the fact that Yaakov embodied the Torah, this kind of uh, aberration takes place with Yaakov, with Yaakov's name. Yaakov, and besides which, how can we call him Yaakov? Don't we call him Yaakov? No? What? Well, maybe, but that's not my issue. That's what I mean, the one who rules over the world. That does, you know, the ruling. But why, if God changed Yaakov's name, my question is, God changed Yaakov's name, how come we didn't buy into it? The Gemara says that if you say Abraham, after God changed Abraham's name, that's a bad thing. You're, you're corrupting the Torah. But we, when we counted up the number of baby uh, Jews, boy, baby Jews named Yaakov, and the number of baby boy Jews named Israel, I think the Yaakov babies would win. I mean, Yaakov is a very popular name. We're not nervous. What? The most popular name in America is Jacob. Really? Well, thank you. <laughs> Vindicated, like I took a stab at it, and there it is. <laughs> yes, we say Yaakov Avinu. We say in, in the Tfilah. Well, we say Shimon Esri, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Yisrael never made it. They made it in spite of the fact that that's what the Torah says. The Torah says your name, God says your name is Yisrael. Chuck Yaakov. Just Yisrael. But the Torah does not shock Yaakov. Nor do we. Nor does the Shimon Esrei. Shimon Esrei, after all, was written by Tanaim. I mean, when I say written, I don't mean that the Tana sat down and wrote it. I mean that they established it. It could be that people said Shimon Esrei in that form, even before it was determined that that's how you have to dive it. Did I make that confusing enough? <laughs> In, in other words, I don't mean to say that I don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm not telling you that I know something. But, but a, a real possibility, I think, is that people davened. And if people davened, they were probably a more popular Nusach. And the more popular Nusach said, 
That was the more popular Nusa. And then along came Chachabim and they said, everybody should say that. It doesn't mean that like nobody was davening. And then the Chachabim said, hey, like, uh, you might be a good idea to daven once in a while. So here's a sinner. It's not like that. It's much more subtle. Subtle. I don't know how that... You know, subtle means it's like harder to see. The changes are very small and they come upon you little by little and suddenly everybody's saying the same Shimon Esrei, which itself is a remarkable thing. You know, that all the Jews every place in the world, all the Jews every place in the world, whether in China or in Afghanistan or, or in uh, Cuba or in America, say the same Shimon Esrei. I mean, there may be some very slight variations that are of no consequence. But, but the fact that they all say the same Shimon Esrei is a remarkable thing. It means even if you didn't have Chabad giving out sandwiches all over the world, you could go any place to any shul and you would daven the same Mincha that you daven wherever you daven, which is a remarkable uh, uh, achievement, right? The two great achievements of the Jewish people in terms of uh, keeping things going, one is the Sefer Torah, just the Sefer Torah, that there are are thousands of them, maybe tens of thousands of them, all over the world, written by different sofrim in different places. They're all the same. They're all the same. You ever noticed that? Did you ever go and take like about a, about thousand sifrei Torah and look and check them out? You see, they're all the same. It's it's absolutely amazing. They're all handwritten. Also, did you ever have a you remember those days where they had typewriters? No, you don't remember. But there was a time where they had typewriters and they used to have competitions about like, who could type fastest. Today they don't do that anymore because on a computer everybody types fast. But in the old days you had to be pushed down the key. It was slowed you down a little. But there was a study, there was a, a science of mistakes that developed and that, and that uh, uh, you could be a professor of mistakes. In, in well-known universities. And the professor of mistakes will be able to tell you what kind of mistakes you're likely to make. But one thing they all agreed about is that you're going to make mistakes. You're not going to be able to copy a text with the typewriter such that there will be no mistakes. That's not, that's not possible. You know that in Europe, I mean, uh, not that Europe is different than any place else, it's just I happen to know about... Uh, the, the Jewish press, you know, there were Jewish pre- presses. A press is a, a thing that presses down on a piece of paper and something comes out and you can read it. Uh, that's what I mean, a printing press. So printing press, in the olden times, the olden times not so long ago, right? From Gutenberg, more or less, until Linotype. Believe me, this is all good for the times coursework puzzle, but for nothing else. So from the time of Gutenberg until the time of, until linotype machines, they put in every letter in the, in the press had to be put in one by one. So every book that was printed, right, you imagine every letter was put in. So they discovered, interestingly enough, uh, they discovered that if you, the people who didn't know how to read and write Kids who didn't know how to read and write were least likely to make mistakes. Because all the mistakes are made by your expectation. Like you see two letters and you sort of like imagine what the word is. And you don't even look at it. But if you can't read or write, you put in the letters one by one. You can't, you don't connect them to anything. You can't do so. The, the kid who did that the young man who did that, put in the letters into the press, was called a bocher, a zetzer. Now, you know what a bocher is? Uh, today, it's, a, it's something we say, we call little babies that look like they're very fat. But a bocher is the boy who puts the type into the press, and a zetzer is, is the uh, Yiddish word, also probably a German word that means you put it in. Right, so if somebody in shul called you a bocher azetzer, you should know it's an insult. Because it means you don't know anything. <laughs>
because that was the that was the primary quality of the Bokhar Azetsu. He didn't know anything about what he was doing. He couldn't read Hebrew. He didn't know uh, he didn't know Chumash. He didn't know he didn't know anything. He just knew how to put the letters into the place that they were supposed to be. So it's impossible. So the great thing that the Jews did. I mean, it's, it's to me a little bit unbelievable was one, they all davened the same. All davened the same except for a little, the, not the melody, not the nigun, right? The nigun is affected by the local, uh, nigunim, right? Uh, you know, what, what is called Jewish music is usually, um, non-Jewish music with Hebrew words. Uh, because in, in when it comes to music, the world was much more advanced than the Jews. The Jews were not good at, for whatever reason, were not good at producing music. Uh, they didn't produce. They didn't produce uh, uh, music. It's only recently that they were Jewish violinists. There used to be only Jewish fiddlers, and a fiddler is someone who fiddles. You know, but he's not a he's not a great violinist. Right? It's only recently in Russia where you know uh, in Russia there was a need to emancipate yourself. Everybody wanted to be emancipated, which meant that he wanted to have a little money and he wanted to be able to travel around. So one of the ways of doing that was becoming a great musician because that was held in esteem in uh, Russia. So you may have noticed that all the great Russian music uh, musicians in the last 200 years were Jews, right? Because it, it was a way to freedom. It was a way to get out of the system a little bit. So everybody wanted to do it. So here we have it. Yaakov is named Israel, But he's called Yaakov. And to this day, we call Yaakov, Yaakov. When we daven, we call him Yaakov. No one has ever suggested to my best of my knowledge, you know, it's hard to say no one, unless you know everything. And I don't know everything, but I don't recall ever hearing a suggestion that we should change the Nusach from Yaakov to, to Israel. Now, having said all of this, having said all of this, I bring us back to the beginning of our parasha. Reishit perek labet bet. Reishit perek labet bet. Vayivater Yaakov levado. Now, uh, Rashi says he quotes the Gemara that says Shachach Pachim Ktanim Vechazar Shachach Pachim Ktanim Vechazar Pachim Ktanim are ins- insignificant vessels like you know everybody has those coffee cups that are chipped but you like them so you, but you can't serve anybody with those you can only drink coffee yourself and you have to like drink from all these chipped coffee cups. So this, this to me is like just an indication that you come from Brooklyn. <laughs> right? It's like a Brooklyn thing. It works? Does it work? Like, can you drink the coffee from it? So of course you can use it. You're not going to throw out a usable, a usable coffee cup. So that's what Pachim Ktanim is. Yaakov Avinu took his family, his wives, his children, his possessions, and he brought them across the Nachal Yabok to face Esav. And then he went back, according to the Pasuk, or he was left. He like, in other words, he, he helped bring all the stuff uh, uh, with the family, and then he came back. So the Gemara said, why did he come back? Why did he come back? So the answer the Gemara is, Pachem Kitanim. Pachem means things of insignificance. They didn't pack them. They were in the pack. But Yaakov, he went back because he couldn't see all these things going to waste. So he went back. As a result of going back, he stood alone. He stood alone. The word the word, is a subject of discussion first in Rashi and then in other Mishon. Rashi also quotes Benachem on this word Vayei Avet. The root of it is Aleph Bet Kuf. That word Vayei Avet is a word that's used for like wrestling. Like, uh, but it's also the word Avak, which means dust. 
and and uh, and as a result, as a result, it's not clear. It's not clear what happened. Uh, what happened to Yaakov uh, exactly? But let's take this the simple the simple route, and we'll say the Yavek Ishimo, Ish. The word Ish, which means man, the Rambam says at the beginning of Luchot Yisodiyat Torah that the word Ish means also in Hebrew. The Rambam says it clearly that the word Ish means Malach. Ish is a, is a synonym for the word Malach, angel. Usually it means a man, but sometimes it means an angel. That's what that's what the Rambam says. Not about this pasuk, but that's what he says. And and so uh, the Mefarshim also said that that the Ish is not Stamanish. I mean, it wasn't Yaakov got dissuaded from whatever he was doing or got lost, but the Yavik Ishimo is a Malach, Malach specifically being the Malach of of Esav, right? And this idea that all the nations of the world have mal- uh, Malachim or are represented somehow in the heavenly court on the one hand. But on the other hand, um, they, the nations of the world, have to deal with the malachim if they want something. Whereas we uh, can go directly to our Kaddish Baruch This has always been a kind of a subject, um, a difficult subject for us. Because we know that, uh, like, uh, like in Slichot, in the Slichot that we say, we actually address the malachim towards the end of the Slichot. And you know that the Gaon... The Vilna Gaon was very opposed to that. You shouldn't do it. There were things that were taken out and put back. You know, it's very hard for us. It's very hard for us to change anything that has been well established. Like the idea of a minhag is is in in the tradition of halachic discussion. It's given almost uh, as much sanctity as the Torah itself. It's like you sort of say, the Torah, well, everybody knows that's, that's Kodesh. But you have to understand what Am Yisrael does as a collective, that's also Kodesh. And even though we call it a minhag, because it doesn't necessarily have a halachic basis, nevertheless, we have very high regard for that. We have very high regard for that. And, uh, and Hasidim have taught us that the regard that you can have for a minhag is almost endless. It's like, you know, the Hasidim and minhagim are a, a very, very uh, serious love story. For them, minhagim are, are at the top of the pinnacle, almost. No, did the Rebbe do it? How did the Rebbe act? And what happened when the Rebbe went here? What happened when he went there? This all become, this all become like, like um, sacred activities. Right, the Rebbe going here, the Rebbe going there, and, and they generate a tremendous need to imitate. And so even though uh, uh, in some circles the word minhag might be taken to mean a, like lesser ob- obligation, in other circles it actually means greater obligation. Because, look, anybody could do what God tells you to do, but to produce the Torah on your own, that's really something... Uh, very special. So that's a minhag. So again, it says here, it says in the Pasuk, uh, it says that's Ish, right? Ish is a Malach. Ad Alota Shacha. Now for some reason, Ad Alota Shacha, what does Ad Alota Shacha have to do with what's going on? Ad Alota until dawn. They were fighting until dawn, right? What happened at dawn? Vayar, so he saw, the angels saw, that he could not uh, overwhelm Yaakov. That in the fight between Yaakov and the angel, we say angel even though it says ish, right? Uh, but I'm going to automatically translate into angel. That the fight between Yaakov and the angel, where you would think, you would imagine... It would be entirely one-sided because, after all, angels are given jobs. And if his job was to fight with Yaakov, he should have won. I mean, how could an angel lose? It just not, it doesn't make sense. But this angel was losing. On the other hand, he did manage to grab onto 
uh, Yaakov's heel, Vayomer Shulcheni Ki Allah HaShachar. And he says to Yaakov, let me go, because the day has broken. It's light. Now this is a very odd response. Why would Yaakov want the angel to bless him? And what does blessing, I mean, how you, you, because he's beating up on the angels, and the angel's going to bless him? I mean, it seems, it seems very strange, like a very strange idea. Vayoma elav, and the angel said to Yaakov, Mashemecha. And the angel said, What is your name? Vayomer Yaakov. So this like fight, this fight that they're having is ending quite peacefully where they decided to introduce themselves. You know, having fought the battle and the angel was not able to overwhelm Yaakov, quite the opposite. So he says, okay, what do you, what's your name? Yaakov Vayomer, Vayomer. Lo Yaakov Yayamer od Shemecha. Ki im Yisrael. Now, in Hebrew, in Hebrew, Yeamer. What is Yeamer? What binyan is it? Nifal, good. You see, it's not a waste, all that opan stuff. Yeamer is a nifal. So what is that? What's a nifal? A nifal is something passive. It's a passive form of the verb. What does that mean? That it's a, so what does... What does Lo Yaakov Amer owed? It will no longer, the, the name Yaakov will no longer be heard. However, we don't know if the angel means now or at some other time. It is, what is the angel talking about? The angel is telling Yaakov that he's not going to have, his name is going to be changed from Yaakov to Israel. What do you mean? Isn't God changed? We just saw in Perak Lamed Hay. This is Perak Lamed Bet. Gimel Dalet Hay. Right? Three plakim further on that God changes Yaakov's name to Yisrael. So what exactly is the angel doing? So we could say that the angel is predicting. Well, he's telling Yaakov a good, good news, Yaakov. If you just hang in there, God will come and change your name from Yaakov to Yisrael. It doesn't say that in the Pasuk, but we could interpret it that way. We could interpret it that way. And, he, and therefore the angel said, Lo Yaakov Yameh, oh, sometime in the future, your name will no longer be Yaakov, ki in Yisrael. Why? Ki sa'ita im Elohim ve'im anashim ve'tuchal. Elohim is like also a word that has different meanings. It is one of the synonyms for God, but it's also uh, in the Torah a synonym for Dayanim. Dayanim judges are also called Elohim, and here it could mean an agent of God, right? A power that God has that He devolved onto this angel, right? Kisarita, you became. Uh, uh, you, you, you took control of, uh, of the angel. So there's a story. And the story starts that Yaakov is alone. And being alone, he was able to have this battle with the angel. The angel turns out to be, according to Chazal, the representative of Esav. As a result of a kind of standoff between the angel and um, between the angel and uh, Yaakov, Yaakov says, give me a bracha. Give me a bracha. And the angel says, okay, uh, I'll give you a bracha. Or I won't give you a bracha, but I'll tell you something good. I'll tell you something good, which is not exactly a bracha, because a bracha means it creates the reality. But, uh, but we wanted to explain that the way the angel said it was, there will be a time when God will change your name from Yaakov to Israel, and that will be a good sign for you. That will be something good. Then finally, finally, the pasuk that is really uh, the, the most difficult of all, Vayishal Yaakov Vayomer, 
Hagida na Shmecha. So Yaakov says to the angel, now you tell me your name. It's like some kind of a Japanese business meeting. You know, everybody hands out a card, you know, like, this is me, this card, and you get a card back, and if you don't have a card, you can't go to the meeting, I guess. So what, what is he asking? What, what difference does it make what the angel's name is? Angels don't have names. Even though there are several examples in the Tanakh of angels who had names, but we usually say that the name was only a temporary thing. It was only for that particular activity. It's not like angels are born and are given names. They, they are created for particular moments in history. So what is he asking for? He says, That's what the Pasuk said. Who blessed whom? Look at the last, last Rashi. Ain lanu shame kavua. Rashi says, with the answer, why are you asking me my name? I don't have a name. That's what the angel said. I don't have a name. But, mishtanim shmotenu. Our names keep changing all the time. Hakol lefi mitzvat avodat hashlichut she'adam mishtalchim. We're given a name for a particular job. And when that job or mission is finished, we might get another name for another mission, but we don't have names like people have names, which uh, describe them permanently. So this pasuk seems to be otios at best, like unnecessary, doesn't lead me anywhere. But what do I, what do I have to know this for? So now, in order to sort of try to wrap up all of these uh, these different uh, things, I want to, to look at the Medrash on the second page, on the second side. I'm not responsible for this Rembrandt painting, which is one of the few Rembrandts that I don't like so much. But, uh, I mean, it's hard not to like Rembrandt, right? I mean, it's like, uh, but you can rate them. You know, you can say, this one I like better than that one. This one I don't like so much. But if you saw it, I don't know where it is exactly. One second. Berlin. I never saw it in the real. But you know you can Google it. You know, there's something called Google Art. What? There's also that. But there's Google Art, which is museums. You could see... Every museum in the world, a lot of museums, I don't know if every museum in the world, but you can see a lot of museums, and the pictures in the museums, and you could click on it, and it grows right in front of your eyes, and it's extremely high resolution. I don't know how they do that. In other words, even if your um, computer screen is like normal, regular, not something... That, the resolution that you get from Google Art is tremendous. Like you really see the, the creases in the people's faces and the colors. It's really qu- uh, quite remarkable. So if you like have nothing to do and the television's broken, you can uh, look at Google Art sometimes. It's really, really something. So, but in the old days, you had to actually go. Um, you had to actually go to the museum. That was the old days. Today you don't have to go to the museum anymore. But uh, going to the museum is uh, also a very interesting and special uh, kind of uh, event. You should try it. <laughs> I, used to go, I used to go to museums when I tried to fundraise. That's what I, I would give. Um, I gave myself a little prize. I went to see somebody say money. He said no. I went to the museum. So I I think I'm not going to let him run my life, right? <laughs> I'm going to do something nice for myself. So look at what it says in the Medrash. This is the Medrash Rabbah. But Medrash Rabbah, it's called Rabbah because it's big. It's big. It's a big Medrash. It's a Medrash on Hamisha Chumshei Torah and Chamesh Megillot. Right? That's Medrash Rabbah. And much of it, not all of it, but much of it is really from the Tanaitic period. 
Although that doesn't interest you so much, but to think that, you know, you have real material from Tanaim on Agadot, uh, that's something, uh, that's something that is, that is, uh, uh, special. There are many Medrashe Agadah. This Medrash Rabbah is a Medrash Agadah, which means it explains the non-halachic parts of the Torah. As opposed to Medrashe Halacha that explain the halachic parts of the Torah. So the Medrashe Halacha, very similar to many Mishnayot. Mishnayot are also from the Tanitic period, and they explain, uh, the Mishnayot explain the, the, the halachic, uh, aspects of, uh, whatever the topic, whatever the grander topic is. But the Medrash Rabbah is the biggest Agadic Medrash that we have. And it's full of wonderful things. Right? Rashi knew the Medrash Rabbah Baal Peh. He knew everything in there. And his two main sources for Breshit, which you may remember, is not, does not have much halacha in it. Right? So it doesn't have, there's no halachic medrash on the book of Breshit. Because there's no halacha in the book of Breshit. Even though it's true, the Puravu is a mitzvah and the Gida Nasher from this parasha is also a mitzvah. But that's not enough to create a whole literature like a book. But the two main sources for Rashi, the two main sources of Rashi's interpretation of Breshit are the Medrash Rabbah and another Medrash called Tanchuma. Tanchuma, which is also a Medrash on the five books of the Torah. Tanchuma. Tanchuma was the name of the Tana. And he appears first in the Tanchuma. And since we Jews were never very imaginative about titles. So we call it the Tanchuma. Because Rabbi Tanchuma is the fir- is the, makes the first appearance in the, in the, the Medrash. Now listen to what it says. Vayome shalcheni sheigia zman kilusi lekalais lakadish borchu. So the angel says to Yaakov Avinu, let me go. Because I have something that I'm supposed to do. What am I supposed to do? Ki alota shachar. Alota shachar is abidon. Is optimism. It's a new day. It's a new world. Darkness is always problematic and frightening. So at the time of dawn, the angels in heaven sang God's praises. That there was a new day. And the, the world was continuing. So the angel says, Shalcheni Shegezman Kilusi The time has come for me to do something else. I don't, I don't fight with you anymore, Yaakov. I have to go and praise God. Now listen to this conversation. Amarlo, so Yaakov said to him, Yekalsu Chaveirecha. All, you got all those angels up there. Hundreds of them, thousands of them, who knows how many. Let them praise God. We had to finish our business first. Amarlo, the angel said, I can't wait. I can't stay here with you to negotiate because I have to go to heaven and praise God. Because if I'm not there today, if I'm not there today, I'm going to come tomorrow. I'll show up tomorrow to sing God's praises tomorrow morning. And he says, uh, and all the other angels will say to me, It's like you didn't think it was so important to come yesterday to praise God. So he says, So we don't need you today either. You know, it's like the angels... The angels they had their own little mafia. That there was, you know, or like, or like the Balabatan in Shul. You know, oh, you weren't here yesterday? You can't get that Aliyah today. Or something. You know, like everybody's jostling for position. So the angels are also jostling for, for position. So, so he says, Amar, and this is like, Sheyetse Siyavta, is like a funny kind of phrase, which means, 
when you finish, you'll be able to do whatever you want. That's what Yaakov said to the, to the angel. Ro esh lacharcha ki im beirachtani. I won't let you go until you, uh, until you bless me. So you see that Yaakov had a certain idea. And his idea was that if he wins the fight, he should at least come out of it with a bracha. And the angels wanted to leave because they felt they had a higher calling. Now certainly, literally, this is a very interesting kind of tension that is created between Yaakov and the, and the angels. Amalo otana malachim. Shabao Eitzel Avraham, So Yaakov says to the angels, after he tells you he wants a bracha, he says, how do I know that I should want a bracha? How do I know that I'm right? Because you know that the angels, they came to, to Avram Avinu, the three angels, the Pasha Vayera, they came to Avram Avinu and they, and they, they told him that he was going to have a son. They told him that he was going to have a son. So, he says, he says, They didn't leave him until they told him this great news that he and Sarah would have a son. So the angel said, Yes, but those angels were sent to Avram Avinu with certain jobs. One of the jobs was to tell him that he would have a son. It wasn't like they, they, they were independent-minded. They thought of it on their own. No. That's why they went. That's what they were sent to do. But I wasn't sent to do that. I don't care, Yaakov said. I'm not going to let you go until you do what I said based on the model that we learned from Abraham and the Malachim. Okay. So, that's what it says in the Medjush Rabbah, a little bit more, and you could look. I want to remind you of that last Pasuk. If you go back to the first half, the first side of the page, Pasuk Lamed, Vayishal Yaakov, So a simple explanation of why Yaakov asked for his name was because there was like a veiled threat. Because after all, what did we say? What did Rashi explain? That the name is a function of the, of the, the message of the shlichut. Uh, the angel is sent to do a certain job and he has a name. So the angel says, well, why should I tell you my name? It, it doesn't mean anything. But Yaakov said, as long as I've got you, as long as I've got you here in this place, you're not going to change. That's the punishment. It is Yaakov said, when Yaakov says, tell me your name, that's a punishment for the angel. The angel will not be able to leave. The angel will not be able to praise God. The angel will not be able to do the one thing that angels do that have to do with, uh, with God. Now I want to remind you of the comparison to, uh, to uh, Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu was missing two things. Was missing, was promised, I'm sorry, was promised two things. He was promised children and he was promised Eretz Yisrael. At the time of the promise, Avram Avinu had Eretz Yisrael. He lived there. He went there. God sent him there. But he did not have children. So, of the two things that Yaakov Avinu was promised, that Avram Avinu was promised, one of them he had. And that was Eretz Yisrael. The one that he didn't have was children. He didn't have any children. Yaakov Avinu is an opposite, opposite situation. Yaakov Avinu put everybody across the river, his wives, his children, his livestock, into Eretz Yisrael. But he felt, he Yaakov Avinu Vayivater, Yaakov Levado, Yaakov Avinu knew that he didn't have it. That he didn't have Eretz Yisrael. 
And he wanted, after beating Asaph, which meant uh, the, the angel of Asaph, like beating the angel of Asaph meant that, that Yaakov Avinu would be able to get Eretz Yisrael for the moment, because Asaph was going to retreat. Asaph was not going to attack Yaakov Avinu. So Yaakov Avinu said, Yaakov Avinu said to himself, to the angel, turned to God and said, I have already been the diaspora Jew. In, in other words, when Yaakov, when Avram Avinu, I mean Avram Avinu, when Avram Avinu was promised, when Avram Avinu was promised Eretz Yisrael, when Avram Avinu was promised progeny, he didn't say anything, right? But when he was promised Eretz Yisrael, Avram Avinu said, and what is, how, do I, how do I know that I'm going to get it? What do you mean, how do you know? God said you're going to get it, so you're going to get it. What's the question? So the Gemara says that the question was, everybody understands that you have to be worthy of Eretz Yisrael. What will happen if my children are not worthy of Eretz Yisrael? And they'll be exiled? Because that's the punishment for not being worthy of Eretz Yisrael. It's a punishment of exile. So if they are exiled, if they are, if they are exiled, what happens to the promise of Eretz Yisrael? On what basis do we, do we connect to Eretz Yisrael? So the end of the Gemara says, everybody will say the parasha of Korbanot. You know Korbanot that we say in the morning, before Psukei de Zimra, in the, in the Sidur, there are, there are Korbanot that we mention. Korbanot. That's Yerushalayim. That's the Beit HaMikdash. That's Chut. That we're keeping alive from our side the connection to Eretz Yisrael. That Chut will maintain our kind of the promise that we will inherit Eretz Yisrael. So you see, there's not a direct parallel between Avraham and Yaakov. Avraham had no children, but he had Eretz Yisrael. Yaakov had children and livestock, but he didn't have Eretz Yisrael. He didn't have Eretz Yisrael. So Yaakov, Yaakov says to the, Yaakov says to the angel, I've already been in the diaspora. I've already been, like, in history. Jewish history has already taken place in me. And now, I want a promise for Eretz Yisrael. What is his answer? The answer, his answer is that all you have at the moment is your victory over Esau. But you don't have a promise. You don't have a promise that, uh, that Eretz Yisrael is forever yours. And we all know that the end of the story of Yaakov Avinu is another diaspora. First he went to Lavan, and then he went to Egypt. He went to Lavan alone and came back to Eretz Yisrael with a family. He went to Egypt with a large family in order to escape the famine, but that began the great, uh, the great diaspora that Am Yisrael had to go through in order to merit Eretz Yisrael and the Beit and the Beit Hamikdash. So the the uh, so the uh, angel says to Yaakov Avinu, "You're, you're going to be called Yisrael." Not Yaakov. And Yaakov must have thought that that meant that the victory over Esau was an ultimate victory. It would never change. But later on, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu names him Yisrael, the Torah says, but he's still Yaakov. He's still Yaakov. He still has to go through the Jewish history of diasporas that were promised originally to Adam Avinu. Right? Avraham was told that your children will be slaves in a foreign land for 400 years. And so Yaakov tried to overcome that somehow. He tried to avoid that. And so the angel said to Yaakov, look, you know, you're going to get this bracha that, that temporarily, that temporarily you will be able to inherit the land. But when God gives you that name, you'll understand that ultimately you remain Yaakov Avinu. And since you remain Yaakov Avinu, you have to go through this, 
this difficulty of a further exile and further going down to Mitzrayim and further living in a, in a way that is not uh, um, so accommodating to the values of the, of the Jewish people. So the angels, the angels wanted to go to sing. Where do you sing the praises of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? In the Beit HaMikdash. And the angels say, where do we sing? Only in the Beit HaMikdash shall ma'ala. Only in the Beit HaMikdash in heaven, because there was no Beit HaMikdash on earth as yet. So the angels were trying to, the angel, angel was trying to explain to Yaakov that he did not live in, a, in the end of history. It's not that everything has happened. But things are going to happen still. And that's why at the beginning of Ayeshev, Ayeshev Yaakov. Ayeshev Yaakov. When's it? Next week? Two weeks. Right? Two weeks and then Hanukkah. Ayeshev Yaakov. Bikesh Lashevet Bishalva. Kafatz Alav Rogzo Shel Yosef. Which means Yaakov, he just wanted to live out his days in Eretz Israel. And he thought that that would be a model. He was the diaspora Jew, and then he became the Eretz Israel Jew. And he thought that that's what would happen. He just wanted to sit on the back porch and drink those mint juleps and rock away in the rocking chair. That's what Yaakov Avinu wanted. But what happened? Suddenly Yosef is making trouble. The brothers are fighting. He's going here. And because of that, Yosef generated uh, a new stage of Jewish history and that was in, in Egypt. So that, uh, who was that person in the beginning of the Pasha of Yeshev? Who was it? Yeshev Yaakov. It's Yaakov. Yaakov is still Yaakov. And I think that, that for us, I mean, we understand that Avram became Avraham. We understand that. But Yaakov is becoming Israel. It's like, it's like a work in progress. It's something that will be. But it's not yet. It's not yet happened. That's what the angel tried to explain to Yaakov Avinu. Have a good